first I wanted to be a lawyer and that I wanted to do journalism. But what I didn't realise was until I was the holder of a, of a wonderful internship with Channel 9 and Sydney Morning Herald, what I wanted, which was to be someone who shared good news um, in journalism, I quickly realised that that wasn't always going to be the case. Um, and this incredible phone call came from um, a DLSL brother who ran the school I went to and he offered me this chance to come and trial a, a different role part-time while I was studying um, in youth ministry in a school and it was that call that I think really changed uh, my direction. Hello and welcome to the Soul Food Podcast, bringing you stories that nourish the soul. It's Alison and Donnie here from Pastoral Formation, and we hope that this podcast will encourage you in your life and faith wherever you are right now. Here comes another soul food story. Hello and welcome to the Soul Food Podcast. James Camden is our guest today, and he's a family man. He and his wife have three children, and their family lives in the Diocese of Parramatta. James works for the diocese as a senior leader engaged in roles from local to national church. A recent example of his leadership on a national level was through the plenary council as part of the liturgy and prayer team during what was known as the second assembly. In the diocese, he's currently the head of mission engagement as part of the mission enhancement team. His work oversees the areas of youth and young adult engagement, marriage and family planning, and the broad area of peace, justice, and ecology. He also has a background in journalism and creative arts. Welcome, James. Wow, you should write my biography more often. <laughs> Come on, mate. <laughs> so you're in the Soul Food Podcast, and I suppose one of the ways we like to enter into conversation and to get to know a little bit about yourself is through a food question. Um, so what would you say is a memorable food story, recent or a long time ago, that really describes who you are, James? Love it. Uh, food. Look, I am not a massive foodie. My wife is a massive foodie and she's an incredible cook herself. But I'm going to go back to uh, two stories, both uh, that sit with my beautiful grandmothers. Mm. And uh, one of them is deceased, Shirley. And uh, she, I can distinctly remember that one of my favourite foods as a child was mashed potato. Okay. And there's ways that you can do mashed potato. So, um, look, there's, there's the basic way, but then there's a number of other ways. Mm. But for me at the time... When she melted cheese on mashed potato, that changed everything (laughs) for me. So that's one food that really sits with me. And then the second one is from my other beautiful grandma, Mari, and uh, she's still alive, 97 Mm -hmm. and kicking on. Mm -hmm. Um, Incredible. Also woman uh, with a history in this diocese uh, way back as well. But Mm. she does the most incredible uh, cauliflower au gratin. Again, key ingredient of melted cheese on top. So yeah, I think you wow. could work out that melted cheese <laughs> is a big element <laughs> of amazing food in my life. Yeah, yeah. Any any type of particular cheese or what? what oh, kind of now cheese? that's asking me way too deep a question, <laughs> okay, Donnie. Okay. <laughs> oh, good one, good one. Now, as part of your introduction, I, I did mention you're the head of mission engagement. Just checking my notes because sometimes I mix it up with mission enhancement. <laughs> but let's just say you're at a party, right? And um, you're talking to a bunch of people you haven't met before. You only know the hosts. And all of a sudden, they're talking about what do you do for work and that sort of thing. How do you break that down? What is the head of mission engagement? I love this question. <laughs> this is probably one of the most difficult elements mm. for all of us who work uh, in the church. Um, and my mum would be the first person who regularly says to me, 
you know, just refresh for me exactly what you do so I can describe mm. it to others. Um, but for me, what I do, I describe is that, uh, you know, we are this huge, diverse uh, diocese with hundreds of thousands of people engaged uh, in the life of uh, the church and our faith as Catholics. Mm. Um, and we have a number of um, operational arms, whether that's education and Catholic care, etc. Um, but here, um, and particularly in this area of mission engagement, uh, we are responsible for delivering uh, the mission um, on behalf of Bishop Vincent. Mm -hmm. We're there alongside him as he is alongside us, mm -hmm. um, really hoping to um, help as many people as possible encounter the beauty of our faith and our church as an organization. So mm. uh, that then comes through a range of areas of which you described uh, before. Um, and uh, yeah, our job is to make it as engaging as possible and, and really reach those that perhaps are on the margins. Mm. Um, and I find that an amazing challenge. Um, and it's definitely what keeps me um, in this place. Yep, yep. And you sort of hinted there, um, uh, that area of uh, approaching people in the margins. Mm. Any other words that you describe for people who have never come across Bishop Vincent's vision or, or mission and, and what he aspires to be as a bishop? What's some of those um, key areas or, or mission terms that he would use that, that you really identify with and you find uplifting yourself? Yeah, look, I don't think it's a secret why we were called the Mission Enhancement Team. Mm -hmm. There was deep thinking that went into that. We just didn't pluck a few words and stick them together, but mm -hmm. they do form the acronym MET. And, um, and that sits really deeply with me, mm -hmm. that one of Bishop Vincent's core uh, pieces of vision is that we meet people uh, where they're at. And, mm -hmm. You know, that's not exclusive to him. I mean, that's it sits with Jesus. Mm -hmm. It sits with Pope Francis. Mm -hmm. And I like to think that for us as Catholics, that it sits with most of us. Mm -hmm. So it all comes down for me um, to that, about that we are present, mm -hmm. um, that we allow ourselves to be vulnerable uh, with people, mm -hmm. um, and that we are truly listening yep. and not just hearing um, and that all of that has got to translate into um, an invitation. Mm. Um, what that invitation is uh, can come in many different steps, but ultimately it's an invitation to Christ yep. uh, and to be part of a family who uh, actually deeply cares about each other. Mm. And um, I think we live that at Met. I think we live that as a chancery, and I hope that we live that um, as a diocese as well. Yeah, no, I love your big picture overview there, but also the grassroots mm. examples that you just described. Um, uh, again, back to your introduction, I did mention you have a background in journalism um, and also in a bit of creative arts. Uh, if you could trace back some of the parts of your story that led from that arena to working for the church, what were some of those significant moments for you, James? Yeah, I mean, my whole uh, schooling life, you know how you have those aspirations. First, I wanted to be a lawyer. Okay. Very quickly worked out. There were, I had no interest <laughs> in that. What was the tell? Uh, I think it was legal studies in year nine. Uh, okay, okay. Uh, yeah, I think I realized, oh, wow, if this is where it begins, I'm not sure uh, how I'm going to get through this. Yep. So I did drop. I <laughs> dropped legal studies. And I think my brain shifted to uh, my deep love for English mm. and that I wanted to do journalism. Um, but what I didn't realize was until I was, um, the holder of a, of a wonderful internship with, um, with Channel 9 and Sydney mm. Morning Herald and, and that, uh, group, 
um, during my uni years that uh, journalism would require me potentially to have a range of conflicts uh, mm. in my life, my faith, my values, um, and what I wanted, which was to be someone who shared good news um, in journalism. Mm -hmm. I quickly realized that that wasn't always going to be the case. Yep. And largely during my internship, uh, there was a larger portion of bad news, yeah. um, which I just couldn't wrangle with how it was important for um, the audience to hear uh, what we were mm. choosing to share. Mm -hmm. um, and this incredible phone call came from um, a DLSL brother okay. um, who ran the school I went to. And he offered me this chance to come and trial a, a different role part-time while I was studying mm -hmm. um, in youth ministry okay. in a school. And it was that call that I think really changed uh, my direction. Um, and at the same time, I had been doing acting on a number of shows and yep. Home and Away was one of those shows. <laughs> um, I was in 53 episodes of oh, Home and Away. It was nice. before we moved to digital television. So <laughs> oh, okay. thank you. There is very limited... Uh, um, evidence of it, but if you're very savvy at Google, you can find some things. Interesting. But there were uh, experiences in that environment of film and television that also gave me a sense of, wow, this is a really diverse world. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know where I quite sit in it yet, mm -hmm. um, but I hope to um, find my place um, in this world. And yeah. youth ministry ended up being that place um, for me. Mm. Now that's an amazing story. Great sketch of all those different parts. And uh, I was wondering from your journalism experience, from that internship, uh, youth ministry days, or even um, working in, was it working or acting in Home and Away? Mm -hmm. What's some of the things that you've taken with you along your journey that still remain true for you across those different spaces? Um, and some of the things that you find have shifted in you um, since then, like mm. learnings, learnings of, of how to be a professional and, and also hold your values as well. Yeah, look, I'm a big advocate in a range of church uh, structures over the last eight years of um, the realisation, and I touched it on it in the last question as well, that um, we actually have to put ourselves out there mm -hmm. into places of discomfort mm -hmm. uh, where we are not with people who are just like us. Mm -hmm. And in fact, journalism, TV and youth ministry placed me in three environments that were very different from mm. each other with um, a lot of different people living out their lives in lots of different ways yeah. um, and with backgrounds and stories that, um, you know, I, I will never forget. And mm. I, I really loved encountering those stories mm -hmm. and living those moments with those people. Yeah. Um, and I think that has made me someone who is then passionate about this area of mission engagement yeah. because all of those people's stories are with me mm -hmm. and I take great pride in using their stories and their experiences to influence the way that we try and do church better. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so th that would definitely be what I've taken from those three yep. very different industries and merged into into this space. Yep. And I wonder, without having to name names, unless you're comfortable to do so, um, is there a story that you could hone in on that 
uh, that is sort of an example for you of a mentor who sort of showed you, ah, this is how you can do mission and this is what mission can look like. A sort of inspirational model to say, okay, I want to follow after that, but make it sort of my own as well. Is there someone that comes to mind that has showed you that style or? Yeah, I don't tend to hone in on okay. those people. Yep. But they know who they are in mm-hmm. my life mm-hmm. and I have made it, and I encourage this of our young people too, is... Um, to go and tell those people mm. individually mm-hmm. the impact um, and the difference that they've made in um, guiding your life um, in a in a particular direction and with a certain um, and with certain values. So mm-hmm. um, I don't tend to publicly acknowledge yep. them, but I love the idea, and I would encourage the listeners today too to seek out those people. And if you haven't had a one-on-one chance to explain to them the impact they've had yep. and what it means for you now to really go and do it because um, I've had some people come to me with that mm. and it is life-giving mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. hear um, hear that. And so I, I love passing that on to uh, the couple of handfuls of people that I've really valued along the journey. Yep, yep. Why don't we make that a bit more intentional for anyone who's listening? If you pause the episode now, uh, put a reminder on your phone or even go as far as texting them right now, uh, letting that person know or those people know who have made an impact in your life, how much of an impact that is and and how you'd like to thank them for that um, impression or the way in which they've journeyed with you. And now back, back to you, James, uh, with uh, uh, one of your uh, more recent uh, levels of involvement in the church. Again, we mentioned you're part of the plenary process uh, in the liturgy and prayer team. Um, if one of your children came up to you and, um, and asked you, Dad, what are you doing for work this week? And it's plenary week. How would you describe that to your kids? What's that involve? And what does it hope to achieve? Yeah, interesting. So my children, their names are Madeline, Noah, and Jack. Mm-hmm. They are uh, eight, six, and four. Yep. There you go. Yep. Well, of course, they did ask me that question. Yeah. Where are you going, Dad, and what are you doing? Um, and I, the best way that I described it to them was that um, you look, they've become really uh, curious about mm. church. They've become curious that the church sits next door to the the primary school. Mm. And whilst they've missed out for two years on many opportunities to be inside the church because of COVID, um, over the last few months, those opportunities have been opening back up again. And I think even today, Mm -hmm. um, they're celebrating uh, mass. And um, so the questions are coming in. And on one hand, I'm hearing those ones. But on the other hand, then I'm getting to paint this picture of what it means uh, beyond Uh, their little primary school environment Mm. and the plenary council, I just described that there would be an event in the city, Mm -hmm. and they love when we talk about the city and when we go on little trips to the city, where um, all of the bishops, so they understand that Bishop Vincent is my boss, um, that that there are another 30 or so of them around Australia, and that they would be there and that they, alongside many people like um, myself, um, were invited to be... Um, in a space that would um, ask lots of tough questions mm-hmm. about the future of uh, the church and what it might look like for them yeah. Um, yeah. in 20 or 30 years' time. So um, it wasn't a simple answer, <laughs> and I'm not sure they completely understood yeah. what I was saying, but at least they understood that what I was going to was important. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you're away for, for six or seven nights... Um, 
no, they do understand. Mm. <laughs> it must be important if yeah. dad's not coming home. Yeah. Is there um, or was there a uh, sort of best question? Well, best is not the right word, but a, a question that you thought, wow, that's really thoughtful to have asked that um, for one of your kids to have asked you about. Was there anything that came up that way? Yeah, not necessarily about the plenary council. They, they did ask me when I got home whether I was happy. <laughs> and that's, it's such a childlike question mm. to, to jump straight to the emotional question of, yep. Dad, are you happy? Mm. And I was exhausted. Mm. I really was exhausted. Um, I had worn my Fitbit okay. the entire week, and yep. it was a record number of steps for me, something like 140,000 wow. um, during the week. Yep. And I'd clocked up 90 kilometres um, without actually leaving a complex. So that's a yep. lot of yep. walking around yep. in one room. <laughs> um, and I checked my heart rate, and it was fairly high okay. a number of times. And so I described them, look, Dad is happy. Mm. It was an incredible week. There were incredible lows, mm -hmm. but there are also groundbreaking highs. Mm -hmm. um, and that I was so proud of the way in which uh, the church, and I mean that in terms of everybody that was mm. in the room, how they had let themselves be vulnerable during that week. Mm. Um, and yes, some people will regret what they said. Some people will regret that they didn't speak up on some things. Mm -hmm. Some will regret that they said too much. But the Holy Spirit was in that space. Mm. And you just have to trust that what was said, what was voted for, the discussions that happened in, in back corridors, mm -hmm. the people that people chose to sit with in their own time, that the Holy Spirit was... Uh, guiding those moments yeah, well. and we won't know what the Holy Spirit um, has in store but we have to trust that uh, what happened is for a, a much greater purpose yeah. uh, which we may, may not know now but hopefully my children mm -hmm. uh, will see and and understand in the future so yep. um tired but happy <laughs> yeah was the best way to describe okay. to children okay and, and from your unique vantage point James I'm um, you're involved in the plenary as an organizing member, um, so to speak. Um, so what was that like for you? What were some of those highs or lows that you described um, in, in your experience of that week? Yeah, I don't think I realized the pressure mm. that the members were under until I got there. I can honestly say I didn't feel overly connected to the process mm -hmm. of the plenary council in the years leading up to it. Um, we had been lucky to engage in the Youth Synod, which yep. felt, and at the time I was the director of Catholic Youth Parramatta, and we felt invested in that. And we felt listened to by mm -hmm. Pope Francis. The Plenary Council came off the back of that. Okay. Um, so for young people, I think it was difficult to really um, become engaged in the plenary, but I know that many did. Mm. So when I got there, I think I realised this is, this is high pressure. Mm. And there are people here that are really putting themselves on the line. Um, we have to remember that there's a lot of people in that room who work and volunteer for mm -hmm. the church. Mm -hmm. um, and we would be naive to think that what you say in a room like that doesn't affect how you'll be perceived yeah. um, in your voluntary capacity or your employed capacity in the church across Australia and potentially beyond. Mm -hmm. So realising that once we were there showed um, that it was more complex um, than, than I think I expected. We had uh, the responsibility of 
not being members, Mm -hmm. but watching what was going on. And whilst we had prepared these prayers uh, for about three months and they had gone through many iterations (laughs) as things changed naturally Mm -hmm. um, throughout, we knew that the prayers wouldn't be able to uh, be exactly what we'd planned. We needed to watch what was happening, listen to what was happening without um, interjecting in any way Mm -hmm. or being too nosy about what was happening. Uh, But we needed to be really um, cautious and sensitive Mm -hmm. to how choices of songs, choices of language in the prayers, um, who was presenting that part of prayer um, and what audiovisual stuff we were using to support that, um, how it would be perceived by all parts of the room Mm -hmm. um, and the journey that they were on. And some were on a very emotional journey. Mm. Some were on, some were on a high because things were going well for them. Others didn't feel that way. So um, I don't think I'll ever experience anything in my life like what we experienced Mm. during that week. Mm -hmm. I have to say just hearing you describe it that way, James, that wider context um, is something that you've gotten me to appreciate a bit more, especially that pressure component. a lot was on the shoulders of people, whether that was symbolic or, or actual um, in that moment. And so anyone who is listening to this who uh, either was a member or was involved in the process, you know, hats off to you and, and the work that you've done uh, in that space for getting it this far. Uh, now moving from that plenary process, what are some of your personal hopes as to how um, the decisions and the vision cast there hits the ground uh, in your work and in parishes, um, generally speaking? Yeah, I think we're going to naturally become a more synodal church because of um, the plenary council. I think there were some techniques Mm. and some strategies that were role modeled by the plenary council and particularly by the members. Mm -hmm. I've heard so many of them talk about sitting at a round table with Mm. eight others who were from very diverse backgrounds um, and how enriching that experience of equality amongst the table was. Mm -hmm. And then you take a step back and you think, well, surely we've always been doing that. I mean, I think about your work and my work (laughs) and and that of the people in the Met team. Mm -hmm. I mean, their core principles of formation and community is um, group work Mm. and listening to each other. So I'm hopeful that there's a whole range of um, techniques that are already being used in church that have now kind of broken through mm. to other um, levels of church. Yep. And I think we're going to see positive um, results of that as time goes on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's what probably, you know, big picture, that's what I'm probably most excited about. But ultimately, yes, many of those motions that were passed mm-hmm. and still have to go um, through to the Vatican and Pope Francis for, for the, the the stamp of approval mm-hmm. um, and the encouragement for us to, to press forward. There are many of them that are obviously very exciting, um, such as, um, you know, our, our recognition of First Nations people. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's such a simple thing that we might acknowledge country before um, our liturgical celebrations begin. Mm. Um, and yet it means a huge amount um, to them. And I was just so proud of people in that room at the plenary council who I've had the privilege of, of seeing on their land um, in all parts um, of Australia, seeing them overwhelmed um, 
with joy mm-hmm. when uh, emotions like that one passed. And, and there were many emotions where you saw others where that um, topic was so important to them to see them um, relieved. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize the pressure yeah. that they were also under not knowing what would happen if that particular emotion wasn't passed. Mm-hmm. And I'm just so grateful that, um, that those ones were passed. Yeah. for those people yeah yeah no that's a good way to put it and like you said earlier um you probably won't experience this uh event again or this process again and i think uh all of us can say that, that this this plenary process is probably once in a lifetime for mm. us um one of the recurring themes that you brought up uh, james whether it's through your work or with your family is this theme of legacy um and as a way of rounding off this conversation i'd really love to hear a hypothetical i know i've been throwing a lot of hypotheticals at you but um uh, if your kids, you know, moved out of area, hopefully they, they move out of home eventually. <laughs> but if they moved out of area and decided to go to a local Catholic church within or beyond the diocese, what would you hope that they experience as newcomers to that parish um, that they would experience from the people of that community? Oh, that's a great question. Look, I don't want to be naive and think that uh, anywhere you move to mm-hmm. um, in Sydney or even Australia would have the same uh, expression of what church um, currently means uh, to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that we're worshiping, worshiping the same um, Christ, the same Lord, mm-hmm. but um, we, could, we, we have that lived out differently um, in local um, realities. Mm-hmm. So I would hope that they feel welcomed. I hope that when they look around the room, they see um, other younger people. Mm. Um, I think things will change in the future to help our parishes um, embrace, hopefully, younger audiences, Mm -hmm. um, younger people in the congregation. Um, Yeah, that's going to be challenging, Mm -hmm. but there are answers. We just have to be brave and, and, and move forward with them. Um, I think to myself about this chancery, like, yep. you know, I, I'd like to hope that the chancery exists in 30 years time. But the reality is that if our parishes um, don't embrace um, younger generations and find ways of making parish feel like home again, mm. then there may not be a purpose for this building that we're in right now, the mm-hmm. Bethany Centre. Mm-hmm. There has to be um, people engaged in our church Um, for all of this to continue and that's our challenge right now and um, I'm really proud of the work that you do (laughs) and the work that MET does um, alongside the work of all of our operational people here in the Bethany Centre um, who uh, care deeply about this work and know that we've got to think now about what things are going to look like in 20-30 years time and Mm. that's probably the greatest um, challenge for us but it's also really, really exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I um, yeah. Again, I love the way that you've just so reflectively put that on the table. Um, I think it's just a, a good check-in of reality, but also just that last point you finished on that excitement of moving into this unknown and, and trying to sort of trailblaze in this space. So once again, James, thank you so much for your time today and your insights. I uh, really look forward to working with you in the future. Thank you so much for having me. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Soul Food. Don't forget to like and follow us on Spotify or your preferred listening platform. 
This podcast is produced by Partial Formation Mission Enhancement Team in the Diocese of Parramatta. We release a new episode each week and we'd love to hear from you. So leave a comment or reach out via our contacts in the show notes. Looking forward to sharing another story with you next time on the Soul Food Podcast. Thank you.